Welcome to the Berto Calkins Podcast. This is episode 31, and I know it's been a while, and I kind of say this often where I take my breaks, but, you know, today I have a special guest, a very special guest, Joanne Molinaro, and you might know her as the Korean vegan best-selling author, award-winning author, and just overall great person. So, Joanne, thank you for joining me and being my first guest my first official guest <laughs> yes <laughs> well thank you for having me birdo that's this is so exciting <laughs> yeah no problem yeah i was just like you know what better person to have as my first guest than you Aww. and of course you know i love you <laughs> so um yeah thank you thank you for doing this and our first time actually meeting was in 2017 expo east because our good friend kim Kim Julie, who runs Best of Vegan, actually invited us to Expo East to be a part of like a group effort or yeah. whatever. They were doing different groups, plant power group, and then what else, like uh, environmentally mm-hmm. friendly group, you know, a bunch of different groups. And when I saw your account, I was like, wow, like, she's amazing, your photography, yeah, (laughs) no, definitely, I was looking at everything, and I was just like, no, I have to follow her, like, it was amazing, I was just like, how did I not know about her, like, this is, this is really amazing, so I'm definitely grateful um, to Kim for actually putting us together to actually, you know, get to know each other and whatnot, but yeah, one of the first things that I noticed about you was, like, your humbleness, like, super humble and whenever I would tell you like you know like no your stuff is like great like and I I don't even remember how many followers you had by then but I know it's not comparable to like (laughs) now like now you're just like millions of followers and like multiple platforms TikTok and you know Instagram YouTube all of that good stuff but um yeah like how do you feel compared to back then versus now with the workload and just like overall like dealing with like social media and whatnot? Well, that's a great question. I, uh, first of all, I will have to say that I felt similarly about you and Rebecca and all of the great people that Kim Julie put us in touch with at that time. I was like, how did I not know these people like existed? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's always one of the most joyous things about our community is finding like-minded people that we can just relate to and, you know, three-dimensionalizing these Mm -hmm. two-dimensional Instagram accounts Mm -hmm. and being like, oh, there's a real person behind this account. Yeah. Um, I think that some things have changed, obviously, since that time, since 2017, in terms of what my accounts are now like and what it means to be a content creator. That phrase didn't even exist at that time. I was a, quote, food blogger um, and Instagrammer. But now I'm a full-time, quote, content creator. So at the time you and I met, I was a lawyer full-time. Like full-time lawyer. I was a partner at a law firm. And even me taking a couple days off to go to Expo East with you all was like a big deal for me. I was like, oh, I've got to be billing and things like that. And I actually went to that event with, you know, the idea of, potentially networking for my legal job. I was Mm. like, oh, I could get clients here. Um, That's also where I learned a lot about blockchain technology. I Mm. went to like a little 
uh, panel that the Expo East had on blockchain and organic food. Mm. So I was there, you know, both as a food blogger, you know, to network with other vegan food bloggers, but also as a lawyer. So that mentality was still very much entrenched in me at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, it's not that at all. I am constantly thinking of ways to broaden the brand, to ensure that there is intention in every communication that I make, whether it's in my Instagram stories, a TikTok post, or a long-form YouTube video. These are things that are always on my mind. At bottom, though, I'm still the same person. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm saddled with as many insecurities as I was back then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if someone told me my work looked good, I'd be like, well, here are the 10 reasons why they're not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still like very Joanne. It's just, you know, now a lot more people have access to me than before. Yeah. Speaking to um, the intention behind what you do, what where does that come from? What would you say is like your motivation to actually be more intentional with the work that you do? And do you think that there's been like a difference between your intention before versus like now with the like growth in your social media presence? I think that there's always been a consistent theme to what I try to communicate in the Korean vegan for the most part. I would say in 2016, it was mostly just a recipe blog. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't really share much beyond, here's how to veganize kimchi. Here's how to veganize this or that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 2017 that I started injecting more of who I am and the things that I'm passionate about in my you know, Instagram account mm -hmm. and also my blog. I love to write. And so you saw a lot more of my writing on my social media and I'm very passionate about racism. So you saw a lot more writing about my views on the divisiveness of our country because I felt a great level of urgency at that time to do something about what was happening in our country. So those are two things that were very important to me and began to reveal themselves in different ways in 2017. I had a very clear intention at that time, which was to do something, anything um, that I could do to help make my country a safer and better place for minorities. Mm. That's really what I wanted to do for immigrant families like my own family. And I was thinking about all the different ways I could do that. And I thought that for me personally, the most effective thing that I could do was to use my writing and to use my platform, the Korean vegan, which had all of 10,000 followers <laughs> at that time to share stories about my family so that perhaps people might start to view the immigrant family with a more human perspective, mm -hmm. with more empathy and compassion. That was really a very simple intention behind what the Korean vegan is all about at that time. When I talk about intentionality with respect to my work today, there are a lot of things that it comes from. Mm -hmm. So, of course, part of it is rooted in that original intention, which is to share the immigrant story in order to foster compassion in those who may be a little bit unfamiliar with that immigrant story. I think layered onto that over the past few years as we see this kind of spike in anti-Asian um, you know, hate crimes and hate incidents is also 
creating a space where Uh, people who have been historically oppressed or people who have been othered or people who come from immigrant families, I want to create a safe space for those people to be seen and to be heard. And so that's another component now of the Korean vegan. But ultimately, the intention of what I create on the internet, in my books, or anywhere else is to go back to that original thing Division, whether it's racial division or gender division or whatever division, vegans versus Mm non-vegans, ultimately is a product of a lack of empathy and compassion and empowerment, a feeling of despair and hopelessness. And those are the things that I'm always challenging in people is, you know, instead of being judgmental, be compassionate. Instead of feeling hopeless, feel empowered. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that I'm trying to foster. Selfishly though, and I was thinking about it this morning after our conversation last night about, you know, being a little overly concerned with views and metrics and analytics of our social media. Selfishly, it reduces my anxiety if I constantly tell myself, You create content because of your intention. You do not create content for views. You do not create content for clout. You don't create content for, you know, virality. Those are tools at your disposal. But ultimately, you answer to your intention and that's it. And when I tell myself that, it makes me feel so much better, like freer, you know, from answering to something I can't control. Mm, That's beautiful. And um, speaking back to like, just you sharing more of yourself and the intentions behind it. Have you gotten a lot of pushback from people who have maybe followed you from before where they're like, just post the food, you know, something (laughs) like that. Obviously I don't feel that way, but have you gotten a lot of pushback from people regarding that? I did in the beginning, I would say in 2000, um, I would say in 2020, at the end of 2020, I got a lot of that. Mm. And that was because I basically made a decision when I started my TikTok account, which was in the summer of 2020. I'm not going to hold back about my political beliefs anymore. I had in the beginning, even after 2017, when I started sharing stories about my family, I wasn't sitting there talking about politics. I was just telling stories that anybody could relate to. That's really, you know, and that's still very true about my account. I think it doesn't matter what your politics are. I think everyone can relate to stories of grief and loss and, and hurt and pain or being othered. I don't care who you are. I think everyone can relate to that. So that's still a very big part of the Korean vegan. But at a certain point, again, I had to have this conversation with myself. Are you doing this for views and followers or are you doing this for some other reason? Do you want your community to be composed of people who are racist, who are totally okay with hatred towards gay people? Are you okay with that? You want people like that in your community? Why? Why would you want people like that in your community? If not, then what difference does it make if you're open about your own beliefs on those issues? And so I started to become a lot more vocal about, you know, how I felt on these you know, BLM with anti, you know, gay hate, LGBTQ hate. And then, of course, at the end of 2020, my thoughts on what was going on politically in the United States. I did a handful of 
TikTok posts on the litigation that was going on in our country with election fraud because I have some experience with fraud litigation as a lawyer. And I got a lot of pushback from people saying, just stick to food, just stick to food. But, you know, I think I did a really good job of quieting those pretty emphatically, I would say. <laughs> and I don't get comments like that anymore. That's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking back to you, like sharing family history and different stories, I personally have shared certain things about myself and my, my life, what was going on at the, the moment. And I definitely got some like negativity from it. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly because I wanted to really set certain things like straight because I'm like, you know, people have different um, uh, ideas of who you are based off of like social media, mm -hmm. what you share, and then what other people say. So I'm just like, all right, let me share my side of the story, you know, pretty much. And I've definitely got some like negative feedback from that, which has stopped me from like being as personal be as I was before. So have you had like people in your life that they're just like, why'd you share that, you know, or if the relationship has changed because of you sharing certain things on social media? Yeah, I think so. I think in some ways, um, I have made the mistake of being disrespectful to people in my inner circle by not seeking their consent before sharing stories. And that was a big mistake on my part. It was a hugely humbling lesson to me, which is this isn't always just about you, Joanne. You have to think about the people that you're touching in your own personal life when you're revealing these sort of very personal stories. And just because you may view them as positive, mm -hmm. not everybody will. And you have to be respectful of that. And that's like an open and shut issue. Like, And so, you know, certainly that has happened it's only happened once, but it did happen. And it made me really reflect long and hard on like, why am I doing this? Mm. You know, is this about Joanne and getting attention for her or mm. is it something else? And that was a really big learning lesson for me. And, and in many ways, though, it was painful. Like I was crying a lot because I just felt so horrible. And like, I felt like such an idiot <laughs> um, that it was a really important growth moment for me. But in every other way, I would say... All of the relationships that I've had have grown so much stronger by virtue of what I'm sharing. I know that I say all the time, my parents aren't perfect. And part of sharing their story is sometimes revealing sort of their imperfections and their flaws as human beings and as mom and dad. But ultimately, my hope is that they understand and everybody else understands that my intention is to honor them as not just my mom and my dad, but as Sonny and Jay, because I think that those stories often get neglected in our parents. And so I think that is, you know, largely been the result. And I've never been as close to my mom and dad as I am today. That's awesome. And you, you think that it stems from you like sharing those things, those stories and actually like communicating with your parents more that is kind of made that relationship even stronger. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, I don't know that I would be talking to my mom and dad as often as I do now if I hadn't gone vegan, which wow. is really ironic. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And how, how long were you a, a lawyer for? 
I was, uh, well, I'm still technically a lawyer, but I started practicing in 2004. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So it's been a it's been a little it's minute. been a while. It's been a little <laughs> yeah. yeah, um switching gears, this is one of the main reasons that I wanted to do this podcast with you is because you're huge into running, you're huge into Hi. fitness. So, I was just like, let me talk to Joanne about this because obviously you talk about, you know, your running activities, you run marathons and all of this good stuff. But I was like, let me talk to you about dealing with injuries and how, what fitness has been to you. So can you give me a little bit more information as far as like how fitness has influenced your life? Fitness has been a part of my life in some way, shape or form, probably since college but it didn't really grow to be this sort of three-dimensional impact in my life until very recently. I think that for the most part, fitness has, you know, for good or for bad, always been wrapped up in this uh, struggle with my body and, you know, my, you know, what, some may call body dysmorphic disorder. And that's something that I've struggled with since I can remember. I don't remember a time in my life when I haven't felt dissatisfied with with my appearance or my size. And so in college, when that became severely exacerbated by the freshman 35 Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I gained, I started running on the treadmill, going to gyms and doing things like that in an attempt to lose weight. And unfortunately, I think in that sense, my you know, fitness, if you will, or exercising became um, a tool and and sometimes an exacerbating uh, factor of, you know, disordered eating and BDD. So I think when I started seeing a therapist in 2015, this is right before I went vegan about my disordered eating issues, she was always very hesitant to encourage me to run or to do anything. And I think her reluctance to sort of encourage me in that direction also made me very careful about why I ran. What am I doing with running? Always asking myself, am I doing this for the right reason? And I've talked about this on my own podcast. My The most recent podcast that I did was on running and how running changed my life. But I didn't really go into how sometimes running can be a real crutch for people who have struggled with disordered eating or struggle with body dysmorphic uh, disorder because it's one of the things can have a direct impact on your appearance, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's always that struggle for me, like is running being used for something good or is it being used for something harmful to me? Mm-hmm. The way I always think of running now is what are the things that it's brought into my life that have nothing to do with my appearance? Mm-hmm. Please identify those all the time. Like that's what I'm always telling myself. You have to latch on to those things. And the number one thing that running and fitness has brought to me is confidence. And, you know, you can call it humility. I call it imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've struggled with that for so long where I'm just like, nah, I'm not that great. You know, no, I'm not strong. But what running has taught me, particularly long distances, man, you have some superhuman endurance abilities that you didn't realize you were capable of for most of your life. That is such an earth-shattering discovery for me, and it's something that nobody 
can take away from me. No one can take that from me for the rest of my life. I will be that girl who ran a marathon, who had that level of toughness and spirit and endurance. Nobody can take that from me. And that sort of internal monologue, when things get really hard or when somebody's challenging me or when I'm going through a period of grief, I can tell myself that you have that inside of you. You can you can muscle through this because you muscled through a marathon. Mm. That has completely changed my life. And that benefit that benefit makes the struggle worth it. Mm. You know, even with the struggle of am I doing this for the right reasons or are you just trying to burn calories mm. or you know look a certain way? That is a struggle that I always have to deal with, but one that is worth it because of this insane level of confidence that running has brought into my life. Well, have you had people reach out to you and let you know that you encouraged them to start running? Yeah. And like, <laughs> t- like, tell me about like that. Maybe you have some stories. Yeah, it's so great. Like, um, so as you know, I lived in Chicago for more, most of my life and I would say 90% of my running was done on the Chicago lakefront path, which is about 18 miles of uninterrupted running path along the lakefront, uh, Lake Michigan in Chicago. There are a lot of runners out there. And I remember I was running a, a long run and it can get, you know, hot, humid mm-hmm. and really unpleasant to run on the lakefront path. And I was running along the lakefront path and I remember being like, I don't know if I have another two miles left in me. I just don't know. And all of a sudden someone passes me, turns around and said, are you the Korean vegan? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm running right now because of you. Wow. And I just remember like my heart just completely swelled. And all of a sudden, the last couple miles of my long run became so easy and effortless because of that. I I mean, there are a lot of stories like that where I get DMs, messages. Oh, I, you know, I got a whole bunch this past week because of the podcast. I just started running today or I didn't want to go on my run this morning, because, but I did because of you. I mean, those are so amazing. But that encounter on the path when I needed it. It's probably the most memorable. Wow. Yeah, it's it's wild how somebody's experience with you that you probably like you don't know about them, but they know about you, but just them hearing what you've been doing and then just them getting out there because of you, like how it can motivate you and inspire you to kind of just go further. And you you said it was like the like easy after that like (laughs) it's crazy and that that same thing has happened to me not with running but I'll get like a dm like oh you encourage me to go vegan or just be more conscious of the food that I eat and even if they're not vegan I'm just like oh I'm gonna use this and it's not me like telling myself that I'm gonna use it but it's just automatic and it's just like all right Berto get up and do do something like because there's days where I'm just like laying in bed I'm just like yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about this. Like I was telling you like the other day, like I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to Runyon today because like there's just like multiple things. But then I think I saw something that just inspired me to get up. But that's amazing. And when it comes to like injuries, like obviously being an athlete, you get injuries. It's kind of like inevitable. So tell me about your experience like dealing with injuries, because for me, I have to be active pretty much every day because it affects my mood so much. So tell me how that has like affected you. 
Injuries are the bane of any athlete's existence, I feel like. And I've had three major um, bouts of injuries that really sidelined me. The first was plantar fasciitis, which is like literally like I get afraid every time someone even says that word around Mm me. And I had it and it took me almost a year of just almost no physical activity to recover from that. And that was awful. Like, and that's why, like, I feel triggered every time someone even says the word plantar fasciitis. Like if I ever go to like my Cairo or my, you know, PT and they even say that, I'm like, I don't have that. Yeah. I do not have that. Like, don't even <laughs> go there, you know, it, it, cause it's, it's crippling. I, yeah. I couldn't even walk at a certain point. I was walking in boots and sleeping in boots and, you know, all sorts of things. But luckily, you know, I worked with a chiropractor who really helped me with that and it was cured. The other uh, major bout of injuries that I had to deal with was shin splints. I had just finished running three marathons in like a a period of about a year. Mm -hmm. And I then followed that up, I think, uh, right after that. No, right after that, I just had horrible shin splints and I couldn't stop thinking about them like all the time, you know? And so I, I trained through a half marathon season. I ran like the best half marathon I've ever run in my life. And then after that, I was like, I I just can't run for Mm. a really long time. I got to recover. And actually COVID happened Mm. that same year. And I kind of use that as an excuse to like, all right, well, nobody's doing anything. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I just take like some time off from running and let the shin splints heal. They did heal. And when I resumed running during COVID, I did it in a way that was very smart mm-hmm. um, so that I didn't have a recurrence of the shin splints. Unfortunately, it's like, I feel like my whole life, I'm just like injury, injury, injury. Then that turned into, I actually like injured myself at like some event. I like tripped over some stairs Mm -hmm. and in order to break my fall, I landed very hard on my right foot and it like, I, you know, I think I sprained or, you know, did something to my ankle and since and ever since that point my foot just hasn't been right probably because I didn't do enough to rehab it correctly but what it did mean was you know I I ran a marathon in 2021 I ran a half marathon earlier this year and after that half marathon because I was in so much pain with my feet I just basically was like okay I gotta stop running Mm -hmm. and I hadn't run since from March till about July so from March to July I did no running. I actually did very little physical activity at all because I found that any any physical activity, like even lunges, yeah. was hurting my feet. And so I did very little physical activity and I resumed running to train for the New York City Marathon. And I think, you know, to your question, I'm very similar to you. I derive a sense of achievement, a sense of purpose and focus when I'm running or doing any kind of physical activity, even if it's like a hit class at a gym or strength training. That's very important to me. And to be sidelined in that way, it can be really depressing. Um, And you start to like not like yourself Mm -hmm. almost. Like that's kind of what I was going through. 
But I always knew that it was temporary mm-hmm. and that it was purposeful, even if it felt purposeless mm-hmm. because you're just sitting around doing nothing a lot of times. It was purposeful. It was designed to allow your body to heal so that you could still have fitness and athletic achievements in your future. Mm-hmm. So you just keep reminding yourself of that and also like enjoy some of it. Like, yeah. you know, I kept telling myself, dude, you've been running for so long. You've run so many marathons and half marathons. You earned this break. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. You can now roll out of bed and start editing your YouTube video yeah. like immediately. <laughs> I was going to ask you that too. Like, how do you supplement that time? Like when you are not running, because obviously depending on how long you're running, like it takes up some time, you know? So were you able to, or did you actually insert other things to kind of replace that you know in a way it wasn't intentionally replaced it was just like oh well now the time that I would use to run I'm just going to use to work Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, so like I said it was kind of nice to be able to wake up and say okay I'm going to go straight to work I'll have breakfast go straight to work Mm -hmm. instead of taking an hour to work out shower recover da 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 like all that stuff and people think that the time that goes into the actual activity, like that's one thing. But as you know, you got to prep, you got to stretch, you got to do all this other stuff like around the activity so that a 45 minute run can sometimes be an hour and a half Mm -hmm. of time that's just on that activity. Like Mm -hmm. you cannot edit YouTube videos (laughs) while you're doing that. Yeah, Yeah. no, I get that. So getting back into running, like what was that process like? What did you feel like, oh, I should be able to do the amount of miles that Mm -hmm. I was doing before. Like, how was your ego, like, during this time? Because oftentimes when I take a break, I mean, I accept it. And I think it's because I've had so many times where I had to take a break, where it's just like, all right, I just got to build back up again. But, like, how was it um, your more recent time after the break versus, like, let's say before when you had an injury and you you had to like kind of start again? That's a great question. And I would say my experience is probably similar to yours that the first time, like the plantar fasciitis break, I was just like, oh, I just want to jump right back in, yeah. <laughs> you know? And ultimately what that usually results in is just getting re-injured. Yep. Um, and that's what happened to me. And so I learned very quickly if I tried to pretend that I was at the exact same or even near the same fitness level as I was when I was sidelined, that I would just be benched again, mm-hmm. like really quickly. So I remember that first time I was like, oh yeah, now I can run the same. I'm just going to run as fast as I could. And then I ended up hurting myself all mm-hmm. over again. And I think that has a lot to do with why I had to take like a freaking year off because it, was, it wasn't it was a year of just inactivity. It was a year full of stop, start, stop, start, you know, like that before I finally just said, No, like you just have to take, you know, literally four weeks of zero activity. And when you restart, you have to start by walking, Mm -hmm. you know, not like running. And so the time when I had shin splints during COVID, I remember, you know, keep in mind, I had just run three marathons and the fastest half marathon of my life. And then I had to take time off to deal with these shin splints. I learned from the plantar fasciitis incident yeah, you're going to start by running one mile. Mm. That is your first run after this break, Mm. one mile. And if it hurts even for one second, then you got to take another week off. Yeah. So I had to be very strict with myself. And 
I honestly, I didn't care about my ego. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I don't care. I just want to run again. Like I don't care about any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I just want to be pain free. And because I was so focused on that, I didn't care if I was like, yeah, one mile, two miles, (laughs) three miles. Like my first week, I think I ran three miles, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but it was a really slow build. But it worked. Yeah. And that's really important. It worked. Yeah, no, it truly is. Because I remember after the the lockdown, when the gym started opening again, I was like, all right, let me get in there. I got in there on the first day. And I was like, all right, I know I got to take my time. But then there was just one day, I think maybe after a month and a half of me going to the gym consistently, I was looking at the weight. And this is me about to back squat. So I... I put a bunch of weight on there or whatever, but then like manageable weight. And I was looking at like two five pound plates and I was like, I could add 10 pounds. But in my mind, I was just like, nah, you probably shouldn't. (laughs) And I I talked to myself for a little bit, but then my ego was like, just just throw it on there. This will be a last set. Like just get one rep and then you're done. Put those on there. And then I went down with the weight and then went to go back up heard a pop and then put the weight down and I was just like all right that's it for right now let me just put the the weights away I'm not gonna keep on doing anything else because I heard the pop and I felt some pain but then I was like all right let me do something else instead and I was still feeling the pain I was like all right I gotta leave and you have that happen often enough where you're just like just stop like you have to really listen to yourself because for me like I want to be active until the day I, I go, you me know, too. Like, me too. <laughs> so like letting your ego get ahead of you where you're just like injuring yourself constantly, whether it's with weights or running or whatever physical activity, I think it's important that like we're more like conscious of that because there was even a time where I did start running again when I moved back to New York and I ran across the Williamsburg Bridge, which I did numerous times. And I used to, you know, go back and forth. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and, and I ran across it. And I was just like, all right, I'm not going to run back. Uh, that was enough. So after running across it, I started feeling like some issues with my knee. And I was just like, oh, this feels uncomfortable. And it was like my pate- patella was mm-hmm. like uh, shifting. And I took like a, a, some time off of running from any physical activity. And it would be so frustrating because I would just be walking down the street and I would just feel it just like tugging and I'm trying to stretch. And I'm just like, I can't walk like normally right now. So it was very frustrating for me. And I was able to kind of like rehab it with my like self. I was just like, uh, I probably shouldn't have took off all of that time. I should have just been like building muscle around it to like strengthen it. But Things like that are like eye openers and it happens often enough where you get to a point where you're just like, all right, let me be smart about it. Like, let me not do this again. So I I can definitely relate to, you know, like try to be more mindful and just getting back into things easier and being more patient with yourself. And would you say that your running has influenced your like, day-to-day life like can you apply certain things that you've learned through just being like more physically active to let's say you creating content Mm -hmm. like are there any things that you could see like like a parallel with I don't know that there's much of a parallel so much as one definitely feeds into the other Mm -hmm. I think I've talked about this like in multiple 
you know, different places. But a lot of my best ideas about creating content happens while I'm on my run. Mm. You know, it's, you know, when people, when we were talking about, oh, what did you fill that time with? You know, when you were, you know, taking time off of running while I was working a lot of that time. But, you know, that's not without sacrifice. It's not just that I'm giving up the activity of running. Running is the only time that I am permitted to watch Korean dramas while I'm on the treadmill Mm -hmm. or listen to a book or just think, you know, just think without any distraction. And so what I often did was, you know, if if it was a particularly long run, 80% of that run, I was allowed to listen to a book, right? Like something that was really like enthralling and that would really take my imagination to places. And then the last 20% of that run, I turn on some good music or no music at all. And I just think, Mm. just let myself be quiet with myself. And it was a lot of times during those quiet moments that I would be like, you know what? I think I want to tell this story today or I want to talk about this today or I'm inspired to share this memory um, or I'm inspired to, you know, take this kind of video or something that's a little bit different. And so some of the work that I'm most proud of, I sort of thought about while I was running. And so one of the things that I lost when I was sidelined and I wasn't able to run in the morning was just that kind of font of creativity that always bubbled over when I was on the path. And that was sometimes really difficult. I mean, it just isn't the same sitting at your computer desk and be like, what story should I tell today? You know? No, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, Joanne, thank you for this. Like you've given me so much information here. I was just like, oh, this is beautiful. I'm glad that we got to like have this conversation because obviously we've known each other for a while, but having one-on-one conversations like this don't really happen between us. It's just more, you know, casual. But I appreciate you for being a part of the podcast and just sharing more information uh, with us, with me. And is there anything else you want to share or plug, you know? (laughs) (laughs) If there's anything you need to plug, specific (laughs) names and stuff, you know? I've had a great time chatting with you, Birdo. I I listened to your podcast last night and uh, Anthony and I... I were, we love it. And um, yeah, I also have a podcast, as you yes. know. And if people want to tune in for more about running, veganism, or, you know, storytelling, uh, it's the Korean Vegan Podcast. But yeah, one day we got to have you as a guest on my podcast. I'm down with it. I just don't know how to interview people. So yeah. <laughs> once I get good at that. Well, you know, thank you for being my first guest. This is my first time. So honored. I, I, I hope that I just did, you know, did some justice here. Super. I tried. I super tried. job. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birdo Calkins podcast. I want to thank Joanne for joining me, my first official guest. I appreciate you, Joanne. And if you are interested in following Joanne, be sure to follow her on social media media at the korean vegan this is on tiktok instagram and youtube and be sure to also subscribe to her newsletter i would appreciate it if you rate and review this podcast and i'll catch you on the next episode of the Berto calkins podcast